Hello and welcome to the North America Gaelic Football Podcast, the home of Gaelic football here in North America. I'm your host, Gareth McAlinden, along with our co-host, Limerick's finest, Connor Green. Uh, before we get kicked off, just want a quick shout out to our sponsors, Masita, uh, who's been the sponsor of uh, the USGA for the last number of years. Just remember, nationals are coming up. Get your orders in for your kits, your jerseys, your training tops. Uh, before the big day comes in August. So without further ado, we got a good one tonight. Uh, the big rivalry, Worcester, Hartford, Rory McGloin. Rory, what's the crack? How are you? Pleasure to be here. Gareth, Connor, thanks very much for having me. Uh, the, the very first day that I saw the show coming out, I thought you guys were crazy to try to pull this off and you have exceeded my expectations uh, by a long shot. So I just want to say congratulations to both of you for keeping it going. It's not easy to do this. Um, I know that personally, and I just think that it's been fantastic. You're opening up conversations. You're, you're allowing a lot of people to have access to, to things that they wouldn't have. So just fair play to both of you. And I wish you a lot of luck going forward here with the, with the show. Cheers, Rory. Uh, well, with that being said, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your journey, and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Gareth and Connor and I, of course, we know each other well on the field, but we probably haven't done a lot of self-disclosure maybe off the field. So um, my, uh, my, my journey starts in Hartford in 1984, um, but prior to me, my mother would have come over in the summer of 1969. She immigrated and settled her way to Hartford, Connecticut. She cleaned homes for the next uh, three decades. Uh, my father would have left his home in Donegal and Ballyshannon in the summer, uh, give or take around 56 and landed in Hartford. And he worked his way all across the Northeast building bridges and setting steel. And, and he would have met my mother uh, in the Irish American home in Glastonbury where our home pitch is. Uh, somewhere in the early 80s. And as they say, the rest is history. I came along um, and was born into a, a culture of the GAA. Um, growing up as a kid in, in my home, uh, just in the northern part of Connecticut, uh, every day it was, you're Irish, your name's Rory, get it right, let them know where you're from and where you're going. And um, the GAA was like the backbone of kind of the way that I was brought up. It was about community, it was looking after one another. The games were serious business on a Sunday. Um, and one of my earliest memories of, of Gaelic football would have been going back in the summers to my cousins in, in West Cabin in a, in a parish called Curla. Um, I used to go and I'd participate in the games and I would play as a child, six and seven and eight. And you'd be getting serious harassment as the Yank over there. Uh, and so the only way you'd get any respect is if you were any good. And so you were working really hard to try to, try to be of any use to the coaches that they might put you in a game. And, and eventually I found my way out of the field. And. Those are some of my first memories um, growing up, uh, Donegal and Cabin, you know, would have been playing in a lot of Ulster games. And uh, I decided at a young age that I was going to the route for the boys in the hill. And so all of my club mates around, they kind of know me as a Donegal supporter. Uh, you know, and I think 1992, Donegal's first All-Ireland galvanized that for me as an eight-year-old at the time. That was a big deal. Um, and, and that really kind of that, that was really where I fell in love with the whole thing. Um, spent my teenage years, spending all my summers in Ireland and having a home over there now in Donegal. Um, just every part of my life was really back in Ireland. So to this day, to my cousins, to my family, my aunts and uncles, my friends up in, up in the north of Ireland, um, they know what GEA has meant to me. And, and it's been a home away from home, you know, no matter where I've gone. 
Um, so that's a little bit about kind of how I got so heavily indoctrinated into this game and into this culture. Um, yeah, you must have uh, you must have stood out a bit there. Uh, I'd Im I imagine that you have no choice but to turn into a bit of a psycho on the field. Uh, you know, they'd always be like, ah, it's soft yank, you know? Yeah, yeah, there was a ton of, I mean, and, and you don't realize it when you're eight or nine or 16 or 24, but uh, they loved you. And that was their way of, of kind of showing it. It was a bit strange and it was a bit different, but um, it, it definitely put a chip on my shoulder. I, I'll say this that I probably carry with me to this day being American born, but of course, you know, two Irish parents and, and considering myself Irish and, and, and all the things that go with it. Um, yeah, I wanted to represent the American athletes at a certain age that felt like, hey, look, it's a round ball and it's a pitch and we, we, we can all play. And so that chip kind of stayed on the shoulder for a long time of saying, like, wh why can't we be just as competitive as you? And I think that that probably feeds into some of the dynamic that we'll get into the conversation tonight as to what football means to us here in America and, and how we're building communities around, whether it's American born players or wherever the community is located. But yeah, without a doubt, Connor took a lot of harassment um, as a kid, but looking back, I'm, I'm better for it. And, and I wouldn't change, wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Now a little bit, I'd say football as well. Um, now you're a professor at UConn, is that right? Yeah. I came to UConn in 2006. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really know much about college, to be honest with you, Gareth. Uh, it just kind of was something that, you know, I was told that I was going to do and um, came to UConn to get a master's because I really didn't know what else I was going to do at the time. Uh, fell in love with kind of the idea of being in a classroom, being able to coach, train, develop, help people improve their communication skills. And I've been at UConn for 17 years. I've had a, a great opportunity to to do some really cool things while at UConn, um, not just coaching students, but I've had a chance to work with a lot of our different organizations on campus and coaching leaders, coaching athletes to present themselves in a way that's compelling to be able to tell their story in a way that hopefully helps them uh, in some way. So that's had a huge influence on my life, the way that I see the world, the way I think about our organization and how we can improve. Um, and, and then more recently, you know, kind of, in a privileged position, I suppose we might say I had a chance to open my own company. And, and that was a blessing because um, as somebody who grew up watching his parents work as laborers um, who, who worked for others, who, who probably didn't have the opportunity with where they were to start their own business, um, for me to do that was an achievement. And, and it was hopefully a way to respect the effort that they had put in uh, in their journey and to say, like, look, you know, I, I, I made something here and hopefully I'll be able to use my organization to lift up others to employ others to create opportunities for others kind of in that in that same way and it's actually helped me um it's helped me get connected with a lot of irish companies that are actually still looking to head west so there's something cool where i get an opportunity sometimes to help a company that might be coming over here so there's a chance to kind of reach the arm back and and help the next group that's coming over nice uh, speaking of coming over, actually, um, we've talked about it a couple of times on the, the podcast before, I think at least once anyway, about uh, Tyg Leader and the, the the kicking program. I saw he was actually over yeah, over visiting you guys. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, well done, uh, Connor. And so you're following along, which I appreciate. So kind of like yourselves, had been following Tyg for a while, saw the story, was connected up in a group in Boston. Somebody pinged me. They said, this fellow Tyg's coming over. You got to meet him. We had a meeting uh, a couple months before he came over. We hit it off immediately. You know, he's such a great guy. He's got a great story. 
And he said, look, I'm going to be driving through relatively through the area. And of course, you know, kind of like the way that we are, it was like, you have to stop. You, ha you have to come uh, because I, I wanted him to see what we had in Hartford. I wanted him to see the community. It just so happened to get to show up on a Friday night, youths out in the field. There's like 65 kids out there playing. There's music on the patio. And he's got the two young boys in them that were over looking for the scholarships. And um, I think it was something that probably made their journey, I hope, for a little better. Um, the next morning, we happened to have had an inter-squad scrimmage scheduled. And so we said, you have to come. You, you got to come play. The lads came out. They ran around a bit with us. They played a bit of Gaelic. When it was all done, we all had a, a, a punting and a field goal kicking competition. Um, the next day, as the story went, one of the fellas went to Ross, went to UConn. Uh, and he put on an, an outrageously good performance. And I talked to Tig that night. I said, how did it go at UConn? He said he closed the place down. And there was a little piece of me, of course, um, knowing Ross, obviously, tremendous athlete, comes from a family of actually great athletes. His story is really unique. But I kind of thought to myself, like, I really hope that maybe he came. And on that Friday night or that Saturday morning, he went back to his roots. So when he showed up on Sunday, he was kind of like, I belong here, right? Like, like I have friends. I, I, I have a community here. So that was a huge moment for us. Um, and for me too, for, for, for the company, for RPM, uh, you know, we want to support Tig and we want to support Tig's athletes. So when they're coming over as they present themselves and do their coaching interviews, um, that's something that is kind of a dream come true for us to help those, those types of athletes. So yeah, I got a chance to hook up with Tig and, and, and fair play to Tig and his kickers and the two boys that got, um, Ross and Ronan who got scholarships, congrats to them. And hopefully we haven't seen the last of them uh, coming coming through Hartford, at least. And maybe maybe we'll bring them up to Worcester sometime. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a cool story. Like, you know, I, I'd say there's a lot of people almost kicking themselves that they didn't think of it first. You know, like th like there's no real sport like Gaelic football, like where there's just such a heavy emphasis on, you know, that long, big boot, you know. Um, so just transferring that over to uh, to American football is very interesting, you know. Yeah, it was cool to um, to have Irish guys coming over kicking field goals. On an on an Ameri on our Gaelic pitch, and the American guys stand around watching the Irish guys kick field goals in their sport. Um, that that was you know that that was a pretty cool spectacle, and uh, I think it's probably exemplary of where we should be heading for GA in terms of getting Americans going over to Pro Park someday, and and doing the same and saying, watch this, right? Well, look, look what I've brought to the game. Maybe there's something that that they'll be able to figure it out. So. Um, they did the show there a few years ago, right? The toughest trade and swapping the players over. I thought that that type of content from a GA standpoint is what we need more of to show like the behind the scenes part of, of what it takes to be a great footballer or a great hurler. Um, so yeah, I had the same reaction though, Connor. I was like, everybody had the idea and, and he just, that's what entrepreneurs do, right? A million people can walk by the same problem and that entrepreneur is going to be the one person that goes, I can fix that. And uh, I, I really hope that he takes the world by storm. I really do. Yeah, that was the show, The Toughest Trade. Uh, I, a fantastic show. And they had, uh, I think it was a guy that played with the Dolphins. And I think he went to a club up in Donegal uh, uh, for playing. And I think, wasn't it, uh, what's his name? Murphy. Um, Michael Murphy. Michael yeah, Murphy Mike, then went over and, uh, he, or no, it was Aiden O'Shea. He, Mike, Michael Murphy did rugby and then Aiden O'Shea went over and did the, the combine. Yeah, Aiden O'Shea did the combine, that's right. Uh, but it is interesting, like you've seen Aiden O'Shea out there and they could just, for somebody who literally just picked this sport up, they'd be like, Jesus, he's just a natural. You know, imagine yeah. if he had four or five years, you know, these guys who are at the top level, you know, give them time in a sport and they'll excel.
Yeah. You know, it's and get, yeah. even like these get these kids coming over now and kicking, you know, maybe that's a more of an avenue for more Irish people coming over here. And, yeah. you know, you see schools like UConn and even Notre Dame now with Gaelic football and hurling programs uh, really kicking off. You know, UConn's had a very successful Gaelic football hurling, which I'm sure, Rory, you could probably touch base on a little bit. Uh, but it's great to see, you know, and more yeah, Irish yeah, that's, people. Uh, that's definitely one of, like, for, for uh, getting GA going and for young kids, you know, that, that could be one of the good selling points, I think. You know, like, especially if you're you're going to try out hurling and football, uh, you know, there's so many other sports you could potentially just pick up, like, easily enough, you know, right after that. Um, it, so. it, it's the sales pitch that I'm often given to the parents of, of youth players, you know, if you're a GA man, right, like we are in our communities, like you're never not recruiting. Every conversation I have is almost always, what are you doing on Wednesday? What are you doing on Friday? Or, you know, or, and it's fun too when you get in conversation with some of the older uh, men or women and they'll say, oh, I'm an athlete. And you're going, great, Wednesday at 6.30, you can come show us, the, you know, the, the athleticism. But going back to the kids, Connor, uh, you know, you're trying to kind of convince parents to say, it literally is a combination of pretty much every sport or, or every athletic, you know, need that your child might want. And, and we've been trying to talk to parents in our program about saying, we understand that you're likely going to pick a traditional big four, big five sport as your one. What do we need to do to get football and hurling to one to be your one B or to be your bona fide number two? Uh, we recognize that beating out some are going to be tough, but we'd like to get to a place where it's like it's baseball and then it's hurling, right? Or it's, you know, it's it's flag football or American football and then it's it's, it's Gaelic football. And I think the the parents who have trusted us and have been with us now for, for kind of the rejuvenation of, and we'll talk about this, like where we've been at for the last several years here, there have been parents that have trusted us. And one of the things is nice is when a parent comes back to our program and says, my son or daughter was more aggressive. They're more assertive. They're more confident. They're more respectful. Like they're coachable. And we've seen some kids transform. And I think it's because the GA culture and a youth program uh, for us that we've noticed particularly is like, there's a bit of respect. There's a bit of um, the way that we organize ourselves would be, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to go about our business. And we don't necessarily see that in all fabrics of youth recreational sports here in the States. I love my Friday nights with the kids because it gives me an opportunity to know that the kids that are there, some of them drove 20, 30, 40 minutes. They want to be there. Those are people that you love to invest in. And, and the athleticism is progressing because we're seeing success in some of these young people. They're, they're track and field stars. They're, they're basketball stars. They're Irish step dancing champions. And so we, we definitely put a feather in our cap whenever we see one of our youngsters doing well. We're thinking that's a hard for GA player there. And also a cost element. It is so expensive for kids, you know, and that's uh, Robbie, Robbie Croft uh, <laughs> probably said it best. It's the cheapest daycare you could think Gaelic football. <laughs> you know, you send your kid out there for an hour and a half and for a season, it costs buttons compared to, you know, some of the club sports uh, for pretty much the same thing, you know, and just getting as much out of the Gaelic football hurling programs, if not more than some of these local programs. Yeah, if not more, and I think the thing that, you know, has stood out to a testament to us is that you're bringing people from, in our case, and likely would be the case for Worcester, right? It's like you're bringing people from multiple towns, at least in Hartford. That means that people are showing up with no agenda. 
right? That means that whatever your in-town politics are, whatever your relationship was, whatever you know you do in town, it really doesn't carry over. Are you on time? Can you volunteer? Are you, you know, are you able to, to help out on Saturday? That's the social capital that carries weight. And for me, it's a great equalizer. And, and I think that that's to me what GAs should be about is that it doesn't really matter what you do Monday through Friday, uh, what your zip code is, right? When you show up, it's, are you here? Are you present? Can you give? Do you want to, do, do you want to be ready to receive from the community? And um, that's something that, that stands a testament where we compare my daughter's now 10 and, and we see the other sports uh, that we have available to us in town or throughout the state. And I, and I, I just can't say there's just nothing beats like the Gaelic community and, you know, the, the way that those relationships are forged, they just seem to, they seem to be more genuine in some ways, a bit more authentic because it's, it is built around community first, as opposed to, I'm trying to get a scholarship. I'm trying to go to college. I'm trying to be pro. We're trying to say, are you a good person? Right. Do you do the, do you do the little things the right way? That'll probably stand for a lot longer than whatever, you know, you're, you're doing this summer for whatever sport you're in. Yeah. It's gotta be, GA has to be, you know, hurling and football, the, the least individualistic sports. Uh, you know, a lot of that just comes from the culture back home. Like, you know, you, you've got your club, that's your club for life. You know, you, you can be as good as you want, but you still be playing for the same club, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what you guys have down there, you know, is obviously a testament to Hartford as well. Uh, and the community that's built there, but as a family, uh, for Friday nights to get down there and play football and to have, you know, the bar and the restaurant there, you know, everybody's, it, it is like one little community there, you know, and people are probably spending their evenings there and you know what, they enjoy the Friday night, you know? So, uh, it's a real, it's a testament to use. And I think you said you had about 65 kids out there on a Friday night. Yeah, any given Friday night. Um, it's probably worth telling a bit of a story, Connor, how to, how we kind of got there and, and a little bit of what's worked for us for other clubs that might be, you know, wondering a little bit. Um, if we look at COVID for a moment, right, it obviously changed everybody's world and, and it forced us to probably rethink a lot of things. So, you know, the spring of 2020 rolled around and it would have put everybody on hiatus, including ourselves. And so one of the things that stands out is I reflected back because somebody had asked me, like what happened? How, how did it work? And, and when did the catalyst kind of get reignited here in Hartford? Because we'd had a great success 2010, 11, 12. Like there was a group there and there was a youth program pushed through. And kind of when they went through, we saw this almost this little gap again. So the biggest change was Friday nights. And as you said, Gareth, I, I said to a few of the lads as we were planning, I said, we need families. I need moms and dads. I need grandmas and grandpas. And I need them to be able to go into the pub you know, have a pint, see their friends, you know, have, have, have dinner with the kids afterwards. Cause now we have access. Now we have FaceTime. We weren't competing with any other sport in town. Not only were we not competing on Friday night, but we were the only show to open back up that fall. And I I'd love to just, you know, give a shout out to, there were so many people that put in so much time for, if you remember, we were all crazy about hand sanitizers and registrations and logins. And I mean, there were people that stepped out to do all that stuff, which would be outside of the scope of anything I'm good at. And um, that basically reignited. And, and the thing that I'll say is this, is it made us deliberate. It made us intentional to say, if we don't do this, we're, it's going to die. And, and it's going to die on our watch. And I think there was a, probably a little sense of urgency for a handful of us who had seen it go around a few times. We said it can't happen on our watch. And instead, the response was really good. Friday nights was massive. So for any clubs out there that are, you know, maybe looking to think about what are the little things that can be done, 
I think you have to find the right time in the schedule where mom, dad, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, everybody can come down because then they all become a part of it. And those relationships are what make us want to go down the next Friday and the next Friday. Um, and then one other piece of, of, of thing that should be said and, and genuinely acknowledged, we do have a great home down there, a tremendous amount of history in those walls. And um, over the last few years in particular, we would have received great support from the administrators from from the presidents and the organizers where they, you know, recognize they said GAA is what we're all about. And they've really given us the kind of support to just say, we're proud of you, go forward, enjoy, let us know how we can help. And that that doesn't cost anything, right? But it makes a huge difference because I could tell you stories over the years of like, if you bring down a, a great young recruit, some American athlete, and you're going, okay, hey, look, this guy has potential. You bring down a family, you go, hey, this, this family's got three young children. They're, they're good people. And they go into the pub, they go into the restaurant, they go into wherever your sponsor is, right? And if they don't have an exceptional experience, you know, it's like, oh no, it's like a reflection back to me. Like they didn't have a great time. Something maybe didn't go right. When they go in to the home on a Friday night and they meet some of the people that are down there and everybody has a Cade Mila Falcher waiting for them, like, come in, sit down, what can I get you? That's when they realize, and Connor, you just said it, it's like something you can't get anywhere else. Like, that doesn't happen after baseball. It doesn't happen after the cross games. And that's not to take away, but the culture is different. And so usually when we set the hook in a family or a new recruit, it comes down to this is different and I love it. Right. And then there's always some people that are going to say, this is different and I got to get out of here. Like, this is crazy. But um, yeah, so, so there's, there was a lot of little things and I don't think it takes much. I think it's about creating a really good atmosphere and putting it at a time that people can get access to. And then you let your people do the rest. Yeah. A lot of it in GA is just getting them in the door. Like, isn't it, you know, just get them to come out once straight out, you know, have a bit of crack with the lads and uh, you know, yeah. they'll be, they'll be hooked for life then before you know it. Yeah. I will, I will definitely encourage if anybody's uh, maybe watching this from out of town, you know, that's never been up in the Northeast or maybe they've been to Canton. You know, maybe the future does hold, you know, a tournament where, you know, junior clubs from other, you know, like the Pittsburghs, um, even Buffalo, New York, or like some of them places were, you know, to really go down and see that setup. Because, I mean, we went down there last year and it is a fantastic setup. I mean, the field is fantastic, beautiful grass field. The bar setup's great. Uh, the grandmother's had the sausage rolls. There was a woman from Armada there and she had the, she had the, oh, yep, I'll be making the sausage rolls all morning. Ham and cheese out. What can I get you, lads? No problem. And it, it, it was just like being at home. Yeah. You know, it was class. You know, that's, uh, I, I definitely highly encourage, you know, if, if you're going to, you're going to look at a place to, it's like, you know what, as a, you know, as a, maybe a junior club uh, with the aspirations to grow, uh, that is the, like that Hartford is the the stepping stone, you know, that's, and that's where we, we look to be. I mean, as much as we obviously have our battles on the field, there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of respect there to say, you know, Hartford are doing great things, you know, whether it's the, the men's football, now the men's hurling, the kids, and, you know, even move on now with the ladies team, you yeah. know, now you just have, uh, is that the first ever ladies Gaelic football team? Yep. Yeah. 
Um, pre- first of all, just Connor, like those words, I know will be appreciated by every single person in our club and the Irish home. So those, those folks that are watching, they mean a lot. And I appreciate that. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into it, as you guys know. And so anytime that respect is shared, it's obviously received. So appreciate that. Yeah. So the ladies, um, you know, I think over the last, you know, decade or so there had been, you know, some trainings and, and there was, you know, maybe a ladies night and maybe they had a couple things. And, you know, I, I think that it, the club probably wasn't set up and there wasn't sustainability when those first kind of efforts went down. Um, and so when I made an announcement there at, at one stage back in 2022, I went in front of the Irish American home. I said, we're going to have a ladies football team and be the first one ever. I received a few comments from folks saying there was, there were training sessions. So I went back and corroborated the story because I didn't want to be, stepping on anybody's toes, um, whatever it is, whether it's the first, second, third, or, or, or whatever, it's here. Uh, we exist, and it's, it's certainly the first time that the team's ever competed, that they've ever had their own kit, that they've been entered into a championship. Um, and it's, you know, you know, probably one of the biggest um, pieces of pride that I would have in, in my relative, you know, tenure with the Hartford GA Club is, is being, being involved with, with that program and its launch. And your wife, does your wife play with the ladies team too? Yeah. So, um, little, st- like, so ladies situation and the way it unfolded was, was very organic for me in my house. So Friday night, um, I've been bringing Marae down since she was, you know, three and then four. And of course I was playing and, you know, my dream would have always been to have had, you know, son or daughter, you know, go out and play football. And, and I'm fortunate that Marae just loved it. She took to it and, and we play together. So anyways, you know, Marade's eight and nine and I'm looking around. And, and so if I go back to my childhood in Hartford, there was tremendous men's success up through the 80s and the early 90s. Right as I'm turning seven, eight and nine, the program kind of drifted into a, a bit of dormancy there mid 90s. And there were there were shifts in organization. And and to make a long story short, they didn't have an active youth program in the mid 90s, right when I've been playing. Now, I would have been gone back to Ireland every summer anyways, so I did have the chance to play, but my peers didn't. And to this day, my friends that are in their late 30s, you know, they talk about, I wish I had had a chance to play. So anyways, now I'm seeing my daughter. She's playing in the games, and, you know, I'm kind of getting a, a little nostalgic for myself, and I'm kind of looking at her. I'm like, where is her and her teammates? And we have this huge group right now of, like, 10 to 12-year-old girls. There's, like, 15 of them, and they're great, and I love them, and, and they're, like, all my kids – And um, I just kind of was overwhelmed by this idea. I said, these young ladies deserve a chance to play somewhere with Hartford when they graduate. And um, I I, I was so I'm literally out there on a Friday night and I'm going through these nostalgic moments as I do in my head. And I'm genuinely like looking on the sidelines and it's just it's moms. Right. And and I know some of them. And then I know that there's some of the girlfriends from some of the lads that are coaching. They're over there. And so basically it was just a matter of like rolling the ball up to a few of them and saying, do you want to come give it a go next Friday? Just bring your boots. And the rest is history. The first practice that we had that was formal, I think there were seven of us. We have a photo of that night. Um, And then the next night it was 12 and like the next night it was 20. And I was like, Oh, we might have something here. Um, So we trained throughout the fall of 22 kind of informally, just seeing what it was like and what it was going to do. And, one of the things that was so impressive was the work rate of the women was was genuinely like you know exceptional um their toughness their perseverance they wanted to improve every week they were coachable uh and and i was having a great time out there and so 
you know, there was really no question asked. If I tell the story, honestly, there wasn't a question of like, are we going to do this or bring it to the board? It was just like, we're, this is happening. Like, and, and I think if we look around the culture of where we are right now, um, a lot of organizations, a lot of governments and institutions, there's obviously a lot of talk about what can we do and making a difference. And I just said, let's not talk about it. Let's just do it and let's create an opportunity and the rest is history. It's a family affair these days, Gareth. Um, one of the coolest days in, in my relative kind of GA life was uh, when we came up for the first game of the season there against Portland. We got off the bus and it was uh, the ladies came off first and, and my wife and her teammates got off and then the hurlers were there and the footballers were there. Maraid got off and she had her kit bag and she marched over and she played a youth game. And so Maraid played and Megan played and I played on the same day. Um, and that was, you know, that was pretty cool. Like I never would have thought that would have happened. Um, you know, Megan has been dragged to uh, Clonus uh, probably at least a dozen times. She's gone to Ulster finals. Um, we flew over to uh, see Donegal play Mayo in 2012. That was a really special moment to be in the stadium for that win. So Megan would have been, you know, kind of immersed in Gaelic. And I think she said, right, look, if everybody else can play, I'm going to give it a go. Uh, and, she, and she represents so many other, you know, kind of maybe former athletes, you know, women that hadn't played in 10, 15 years, coming back and finding something for themselves and thinking, yeah, like, why not me? So um, you'll enjoy this picture on a Friday night. You'll have the ladies training 630 to 8. And you'll have at least like seven or eight of the lads holding babies, pushing prams, uh, <laughs> looking after the kids while, you know, mom uh, or the girlfriend's out on the field training. And, and it that that's been cool. And I think that it's helped maybe even some relationships, probably some of the guys appreciating, geez, this is a lot of work. And I go out every Wednesday and I never think twice about, you know, leaving to go to training. And so it's been fun. People stay afterwards and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of smiles. There's a lot of good good times uh, happening around the Hartford Club right now, and uh, it's it's fun to be a part of. Yeah, no, I, uh, Gaelic football in particular, like, can really be a, a family affair, can't it? You know, like, uh, like it, it was always open to anyone, but we figured we'd we'd go and like put the put an announcement out. You know, girls are welcome to come training with us anytime. Um, and you know, like myself, like my my own girlfriend arrived on the training there last week, and that there was two or three other girls that came for the first time and just loved it. Like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you, you, you can play physical if you want to, you know, but you don't, you don't have to, like, there's, there's lots of different ways to play, uh, to play Gaelic football, you know, so you can really let these people get, join in. Like, you know, it's not a, not a big deal to let them join in at all. Yeah. I she think even, sport, she it, even had her first point. First good. point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, th I have found the game to be exceptionally accessible to ladies who are either coming from another sport or who haven't played. Um, you know, it's funny how you, you grow up playing football. You think nothing about putting your toe into the ball to pick it up and you move on. And then you go out and you start coaching ladies football and no toe into the ball means it's actually coached differently. Right. So there's the, the speed now, now, now I'm coming up with different pickup drills because the pickup's different and I'm watching the ladies just tear into the ball. Like the ball's on the ground and they're going, I'm coming to get it. And it's, it's been fun for me. It's helped me evolve the way that I've seen the game and appreciate the skill of the game, but it's, it is accessible. So if there's any of our, of, of your lady listeners out there and they're on the fence, like don't even hesitate. Cause I guarantee you'll love the community and the game itself is just super fun. And you'll find that you have some skill that almost immediately translates in a way that you, you hopefully you'll, you'll fall in love with it. 
Yeah. No, I, I was thinking that about the pickup, actually. I was like, you know, that that would make things an awful lot easier for us. Like, that's probably the hardest thing to coach, like a brand new American player, isn't it? You know, it's it's, it's a foreign kind of a movement to them. Like, and they're trying to do it perfect. Like, they're trying to be perfect. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, just put your fucking toe down there. And, but, yeah. And there's so many different ways. Yeah, you can flick it up. And then, you know, when obviously they get a little bit confident, then they try the flick ups. And it's like, you know, you're trying to coach the get down and pick it up because that one time they do do it in a game and they fuck it up. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, don't ever fucking do that again. It's like the one hand on the hurley and hurling, you know, it's like nobody says a word if you pick it up first time, but you know, you, you go down and you, you mess it up and you scoop it in front of yourself and the other person steals it off you. Next thing you know, they're all screaming at you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So should we get into the good stuff? Yeah. Junior, the junior C division, uh, in my opinion, um, probably one of the most uh, one of the more success stories in the last few years, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Um, but I think one of the biggest one of the biggest things that's come out of it has been that rivalry between Worcester and Hartford. Uh, I think there's there was a, a big need for. Uh, you know, for anybody that doesn't really know the Junior C division, uh, it's very unique. So it is home base only, no uh, no sanctioned players, uh, but you can only have three Irish born on the field. You have to have ten American born kids on that on that field. You know, so for you guys, Rory, you know that came as that came natural to you guys because even when you guys were playing in the Junior B division, most yeah. of your players were all American, right? One hundred percent. 100%. Uh, the Junior C division could not have come at a better time for Hartford. And yeah, la laughably, Gareth, like I hear that rule and, and I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, that is what we were doing. Um, and, and we were going up against competition that we would tip our cap to on a weekly basis. Uh, the Junior B division in the Northeast, for those folks who don't participate in the Northeast, it's exceptionally good. Um, it's a very high standard. It's full of a lot of great Irish players. Um, and we were going up and playing against top quality competition every weekend. And we were doing it with first year American players. And um, while that was exciting for me to see these men go up and play a sport that they had never played and to compete and to contest and, and their stories in Hartford that are told from an era where they weren't wins right on the scoreboard, but geez, those were great games. And we really put the Testament. The problem was, is that when you're trying to recruit and retain an American player, an athlete that is exceptional at their natural sport. So we have guys that would have grown up playing baseball and American football and basketball, and you're trying to get them to come and join and to stay in an organization. If they go up and they play four games, and they're not competitive in those four games. And this is somebody who's an exceptional athlete who has accolades and trophies and medals from their other sports. They look and they say, am I really going to invest my time in this thing that requires copious amounts of training that I'm not exceptional at yet when I could just go back to my other sport and just be great? Now, the handful that ever stayed with us, right, those people would have challenged themselves. And in my opinion, they became exceptional people because doing things that are uncomfortable are good for you. At the same time, if the GA is built around being a community, then like we are responsible of not just supporting ourselves, but supporting an atmosphere 
that allows others to be successful. Um, so Junior C changed the trajectory, <clears throat> particularly for the men's team in Hartford, because we were running up against a situation where we, we had invested so much in recruiting American players. And we actually believe that that was, and we still believe that that is the right thing, that that's how we want to model ourselves. And yet we didn't feel like we were being rewarded on the field for those efforts. We often would, would wonder, um, you know, you guys would appreciate this. Like we'd go and play the junior B teams and they were ex exceptionally good. And we'd give them really good games and, and we, we, we would have wins over the years. We often were wondered going, if we travel with this team and we take it outside the Northeast, like where do we stack up? We had no idea like where we were on the circuit, right? Because we only could hold ourselves accountable to the division we were in. So um, junior C is great. It's a huge, um, it's a huge accomplishment for the entire Northeast, but it's exciting for this. You would ask the question, what does the rivalry mean? Um, human nature requires an opponent, right? In order for us to drive or to strive or to progress, like we sometimes manufacture, right? Something that you're trying to achieve or overcome. Um, we're very fortunate in the sense that we have this to share with each other. I think that Worcester and Hartford being the same division, there's years of hurling uh, competition matches there. Now we've added this like incredibly competitive um, football series. I don't think that there's been only maybe one or two games over the last several years that's been decided by maybe one or two points only. So it, the competition's there, the rivalry's there. And, and I think that all of the Northeast division is better as a byproduct of having this happen at that junior C level. Yeah. No, like anything that makes uh, GA more accessible, you know, whether that be starting a ladies team, you know, entering the, a, a new competition, junior C definitely makes it just much more attainable for American kids to get out in the pitch and be competitive. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, like, like you're saying, I totally agree. It's great to have a, uh, it's great to have a team nearby that you can just really compete with. Like, I, I, I don't, yeah, as you were saying, I don't think there's ever been a game that we won easily or you won that easily. Um, and I've no doubt on the weekend it's going to be that different. There's probably be a point yeah. or two in it. So yeah. looking forward yeah, to so that. This, this Saturday we have uh, this actually this Saturday for anybody's listening, we'll probably have this posted on 4th of July. Uh, so fireworks uh, on 4th of July, but I'm sure on Saturday there will be some fireworks too. Uh, and it will be a great, exciting game, and no doubt it'll be a physical, skillful game, you know. But again, there is that mutual respect there that what happens between the lines, you know. We all go back to the bar after, and you know, we have the crack, you know. We talk about, you know, what's going on for the rest of the year, and then we start planning for, you know, fall events and spring spring games because, you know, that's, you know, I. You know, some people might disagree with this. And I think, Rory, I think you're on the same page with this. In my opinion, the junior C division is your home base division. You know, when you are when you are recruiting home based players, American born players, and only having three Irish born players on the field at one time. Now that's not to take away from Sean Oaks and you know, other just American based, like I know there's Delco in and Philadelphia. But yeah. to have a whole division based on pretty much all American kids, uh, in my opinion, is a success. Uh, and one of the success stories that's come out of the GA in the last, especially post-COVID. Uh, would you agree with that, Rory? hundred uh, percent. We need to be able to retain, if we're going to recruit and we're going to bring Americans in or we're going to bring people, if, if we move this to a different country, we talk about Europe, you talk about Asia, talk about Africa, South America, we're going to start clubs there. 
we have to recruit and retain and celebrate the people that are that are embracing our game. We're sharing it with them. It's our responsibility to make it something that that they're celebrated in. I look at the. I look at the. Should I finish that point or wait for a second? Um, geez, I don't know where you went there. Must have might have had a technical difficulty. Send them a text there. The fireworks cut him out. He's back. Oh, again. There we go. <laughs> Was that me? Yeah, you were you were gone there for a sec. I'm not sure what happened. That was weird. It just said, "Oh snap!" I think that maybe the Wi-Fi maybe did a little flicker. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, so we'll just uh, we'll give it like a ten second pause and then just go right back into it. Yep. Uh, yeah, you might want to uh, go back to the start of what you were saying, maybe Rory. Uh, what we, we were just Connor had just set up. Um... Or sorry, Gareth had just set up a point there about. Oh, we, we're kind of talking about the the oh, the the value that Junior C has provided. Okay, yeah, I know what I was going to say. The Junior C competition not only is it this great place for the for the homegrown and for our home based players. To me, there's something special about when you think about what it would mean to win, whether it's Northeast, whether it is to win the USGA, the Nationals. At, the, at that junior C level, because you are doing it with predominantly American-born players, and that makes it very much like an American championship in some regards, right? So to be able to do it across the board relatively with your American peers, to me, those are the types of competitions. These are the types of um, divisions that are going to – if the GA is serious, if headquarters is serious about growing the game from a community standpoint, which they claim is the number one value – then doing it this way to me is the right way to do it. And this allows youth programs to come up together, to stay together, to have something to aspire to. And I think for, for me, um, if Junior C doesn't get introduced in the Northeast and thankfully yourselves, Portland, Trinity, um, now Sean Oaks, right? If that doesn't happen, right? You're looking at a, a club like Hartford that has huge history, massive pride, takes their football very seriously down there throughout the course of the year, where where do they compete and where can they remain competitive? How long would it have taken for our youth program to have caught up to the standard, right? Now, it might have, right? I do believe that we're going to have some of those 65 kids that are coming through and they're going to make some teams and hopefully I'll still be around long enough to see them play at the senior level. But ultimately, like that gap could have been enough to, you know, extinguish a club that really has no business being extinguished. So, these are the opportunities that I think are going to allow us to flourish as opposed to perish going forward. Do you see the potential of a junior D division? Yeah, I love that idea. Junior D in the Northeast might provide a solution for a couple of things. There's a great youth program that exists both inside of the, the Boston city limits, as well as now programs that are cropping up and, and becoming, you know, a lot more successful, and one of the things that we've noticed and in, in our experiences is that we need somewhere to allow the 16, 17, 18 year olds who are still developing an opportunity to play at the same time, Gareth, like one of the things that we've been chatting about is going, well, where do some of our players that maybe are just interested in playing a little bit, maybe they don't want to be as serious. And now you can have this great kind of mentorship, right? Where you've got some players that are starting to age out of a junior B or junior C level. They want to play. You've got some young people who are learning the game. That's a brilliant atmosphere to allow, you know, the development of players. 
I think that going back to my point, and, and I've said this, and I tried to say this to anybody that would have listened to me during the era without Junior C was, if we can't be, if we're doing everything that we can under the sun, recruiting, training two nights a week, doing indoor sessions, doing film sessions, if we're putting in the work and you have great people and you can't find success in the division that you're in, well, like what, what else is there, right? The next answer was fundraising, right? The next answer was, okay, now we're gonna have to go and raise money and go about this a different way. And that probably didn't th fit the ethos of where we were at. So Junior D could give the opportunity um, to grow the game further in a, in a shorter amount of time. Uh, the question would always be sustainability, right? Could could it be sustained in enough, you know, long enough to, to get it off the ground? But I think even having the conversation just by you asking the question makes it a little bit more real today than maybe it was before it was brought up. So I know that, you know, my ears uh, have perked up a little bit hearing this idea. The idea will be brought back to to our folks and to say, is this something that maybe we could sustain? And, and would this kind of open our player pool up? maybe just a little bit wider and might help, help us bring in another five or six players a year. Yeah. Uh, also retaining players. <laughs> I mean, we have 20, you know, uh, on a, on a given Saturday there, if we have a game, we could potentially have, you know, 20 plus players, uh, you know, and it's tough to get everybody a run out. But if you have that development team where, you know, and, and you know, we have a very similar situation. We have a football team and a hurling team. You know, maybe it's that's the D is that, you know, where some of the hurlers want to come in and just try it out, you know, but, you know, they might not be ready for that C division yet, but they have that D where it's, you know, it's more development. It's not really focused on the winning. It's more of just getting games out, getting, getting runs. And then maybe that, you know, Irish guy that's in his forties that just wants to go and kick about for 15 minutes just to get a runabout. Yeah. And you're going to actually keep that person longer term because now you actually have something for them that is going to bring them the training once a week. Yeah. That's going to bring them back uh, to games and making sure they're more involved in for, you know, obviously you have events and sponsorships and tickets. Uh, so in my opinion, for clubs like us, you know, that's outside the Boston area. I think D, uh, a D division is going to be crucial for our growth uh, and, you know, the division's growth in a whole. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And talking about the clubs that are, that are dual code and, you know, there's always the challenge, football and hurling. How do you keep it balanced? How do you deal with your dual players? How do you make sure you're supporting everybody? How do you keep the clubs integrated? I think I, I think you're onto something very beneficial for clubs that find ourselves in that scenario too, where you're trying to always develop rapport and create a bit of banter between the two teams. You know, football tends to often be more accessible. We do inter squad scrimmages from time to time, hurlers and footballers, and the hurlers, you know, usually can pick up the football and they're kind of away they go. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea, and I think it's those types of ideas. It's that types of being innovative, being entrepreneurial with. It's ours. It's our club. It's our game. We should be able to make what we need of it to make it work, to make it successful. So I, I really appreciate that vision. And um, I think there's more conversation hopefully to be had with other clubs. And maybe there's other clubs out there that aren't in the circuit right now that that might be enough to say, OK, that feels comfortable to us. We can dive in on that. Yeah. Even even to add to the junior, junior D thing, one thing I'd love to see is even more like kind of over 35s over 40s competitions you know um you know for clubs like us that are just trying to grow over we can you know 
getting as many people involved as possible is is, is always a good thing obviously um you know we talked about it a few times there like my father was out at it he's 64 years of age he's out at the over 40s hurling tournament out in vegas you know okay. um which is amazing to see like you know love love to see more more things like that going on yeah and i think we can and, and i've said this to gareth uh Prior to this, I said, you know, getting the ladies going was huge for us because it's changing the dynamic. Uh, you have families, you have different people with different skill sets. Um, you have people thinking outside of their needs, their wants, and, and thinking about how do we create for others. And, um, you know, I really, I appreciate these conversations because it just shows that sometimes like what you might think is your struggle or what you might think is just kind of going on in your backyard there's, you know, clubs around the world that are dealing with the same things. And I think that those of us that are outside of major circuits, um, you know, it really is important that we're having more of these conversations. And that's, I think, one of the things the podcast has done has been having different conversations with different people so that you don't feel as sometimes isolated. You're doing your little piece and you're going, is this just me? Right. Are we an anomaly? And you go, nope. Right. Every club is dealing with some of the same things. Do you think the conversation at some point needs to be had about the Irish born homegrown player. Uh, and what I mean by this is let's just say if you're, you know, you're Irish born, you maybe played at home and you're, you know, 46, 47, you're an American citizen, you know, you've been with your club for 10 plus years. Should there be that different code? You know that's not punishing them yeah. uh, to play because I know. Let's just say if there is a junior D division and they say, "Listen, it's only going to be American based," but now you've just taken away those three, four people that were excited about coming back, and now you can't play them. Yeah. Uh, you know, is there almost something that needs to be done for those people? Uh, because you know, I, I get it. Irish born, you don't want to have a twenty-five, twenty-six-year-old ringer like Connor Green uh, coming in and just you know, <laughs> you know. It, but but it's true. You know, you don't like it. It, it almost takes away from the. It, it takes away from the division. Yeah. You know, and where that junior D, if you have, every club has a couple of those. I know we have a couple of guys like that. You know who. You know they're not going to be. You know they're not going to be out kicking four or five points a game, but you know they want to be in there playing a competitive game. But we don't really. You know there's nothing there for them. Mm -hmm. So what is that, and what does it look like, and how do we introduce that? I agree. Uh, I've actually long struggled with the interpretation and, and the definitions of where players fall. Uh, going back and reading it, I think that there's an opportunity for us to really go back and improve upon that language. I probably just signed up for a committee that I didn't want to, but right. I think the way that they're described to me is it's not as um, obvious. And I think that it places limitations on people for where they're born or, or where, you know, kind of their circumstance. If one of our ethos is accessibility, then we have to be within the, so, so it's about creating balance. I'll tell you this. I think for me, somebody that's been here for X number of years, let's put a number on it, call it 10, right? Somebody that is, is maybe, you know, a fabric of their community. They are, you know, they're here and they have, you know, basically outlived their youthful GA experience. We need those people to be involved in those games. And we have them in Hartford and we've lost some of their involvement over the years, right? Like um, all joking aside, there's lads that I see my friends on, you know, Friday night at youth, some of the coaches, some of the, 
the older guys who used to play. And I'm always like, come down, come down, come down. And, you know, you can see the apprehension. They don't want to commit. Maybe they don't feel like they're fit. They don't feel like they can compete with some of the younger guys. And, but I'm like, no, but we want you there. I don't care. I just enjoy your presence. You're, you're, a, you're a book of knowledge. And they, and they haven't, right? And, and generally, like, they haven't. They've stayed away. If we had a place that allowed them to go back and play, we're going to get more value out of them. And we owe it to them. I mean, some of those people are the reason that we exist, that we're still going. And then to, like, lock them out, it just seems kind of foolish. So I, I, I like the proposal. You said 46, 47. Uh, maybe, maybe Mr. Green has the skills in his sixties, but you know, I, I would be as far as to say 40 to me is like, you know, and then I, and I mean, maybe you could make an argument to me that you could go younger. Um, I know that there's still good footballers over 35. Um, but I think that, you know, there, there has to be something done. We can't lock out many of the people who are, who, who allowed us to be here today to not have access to the game. So that's, that seems like a simple fix. Um, it seems like local rules maybe could take some jurisdiction over that. But I think as we look at USGA definitions, I think there is opportunity to continue to fine tune because we live in a global world. We're going to continue to have all sorts of different unique circumstances going forward. I think that we have to figure out a way to get the competition side of it right, but still make people feel like they're not being punished, you know, one side or the other for who they are. Yeah, no, I know. I, I personally, I would like to see them change the, just, you know, maybe, maybe just make it one player, one team. You know, no, I think it was a bit more relevant years ago when you had very, very little American players playing, you know, now it's kind of like you have a lot of these players playing that are very good. And it's like, you know, should, should you be limited to having your 45 year old Irish guy who's not even, not even that great, probably didn't even play that much back home or something, you know? Um, but, uh. Yeah, you know, I think, I think, I think I, it's like it's like some people have said to me, "Oh, you know how you're going to get American kids to play?" I think we lots of ways we can get American kids to play without needing to, you know, having having to be restrained and how you can pick your team and all that, you know. Um, but uh, and I just think even too for for players, you know, Irish born, but they're coming here. They've you now lived here. They they've immigrated. They're working here. They've set up. I mean, what what's the appropriate clock look like, right? And and we won't figure that out in the next five minutes here but an open an open conversation a focus group a bit of research to figure out where do we think that the the threshold for that supposed advantage wears off because it does create sometimes a, a bit of a misnomer where well there's an expectation if you're irish born therefore you're better than your compatriots on the other side yes and no if we develop the game correctly you could see that gap narrow and I know that it's not going to narrow overnight. It may take 20 or 30 years, but that should be the goal in some regards, right? That you're developing the sport around the world and that the local talent is relatively on par. So I think that that conversation won't happen today or tomorrow, but in the future, it very much could if you start to see, you know, talent gaps kind of start to narrow if we continue our success at youth, if we continue our success at junior D, et cetera. Yeah. I think a lot of the problem too, this is a problem in GA all over the, any you know back back home definitely uh is how how are they vetting these competitions like you know like uh you know you, you if you if you go into if you want to enter a junior c team you know you you'll see it i've seen it time and time again you know playing ga growing up like you there's a team that will take that easy trophy like you know they they should they should be junior a but they're junior c you know and uh just i think just from the powers that be vetting that um it can it can be achieved you know yeah, uh, you know, and, and if you do go junior C one year and you blow everybody out of it, you beat everyone by thirty points. You know, force them to go up 
junior a junior b whatever next year um you know make that make them be on the other end of that of those blowouts you know so well uh, you know it is coming up to an election year obviously there's going to be a whole new turnover uh of people and you know i think our goal with this platform is to have the people that are running uh to have them on the show to talk about you know because these are real issues that you know clubs are dealing with you know and it i i even talked to the guys of portland you know it's you know when they have five six seven irish lads sitting on the sideline you know it, you know it's it's not fun for them they're gonna lo- lose those people you know and those are people that have been in portland for 10 15 years you know who are american citizens at this point but you can't play them because you know it's a three irish rule which i get i'm all for uh but you know maybe there is that hey listen homegrown slash overgrown (laughs) yeah Yeah. no i think there's something to be said there um one of the things that you know we, we talk about sometimes challenges right so what's a challenge that we're facing um not just in the northeast but probably in north america right is how do we find balance with sanctions so let's talk about the good. To me, sanctions are great because it cha- it could change a young man or woman's life. They could come over for a summer. They could find work, find a job, find a partner, find a new home, find a new culture, or take something they learned and they bring it back home. And, and that's amazing. Like, so I'm always going to support that because that is true to who we are, right? At the same time, balance to me is the key word. How do we find balance in the way that we go about it? How do we make sure that we're kind of sanctioning with balance to maintain the integrity of growth in the community standpoint. Because if you lift a lot of players from one community in Ireland, that means that community is also missing those people. And those are those are bright, young people who are important to that community probably. So are they being replaced? Should we have an exchange program? Should we, for every player that you bring over, you send somebody back, right? So now there's a benefit to both. Now we're talking and that to me would be kind of more in the spirit of, you know, what you see with, with exchange programs that have existed relatively successful at universities, for example, like it has to be one for one. There's an idea that would create balance and I think it would force a bit of creativity. It would kind of make us think differently about homegrown as opposed to them just being a, a set of letters on your sheet. And, and that's kind of what I was saying, like reducing players to just, you know, away based, home based, homegrown and just kind of tagging it. It does feel like it's tough. And, you know, Connor, you were mentioning about how we're grading. The other piece of the puzzle is like, it does feel as if we need, especially when we get down to a junior B, junior C type level, do we have shared grading, right? Do we have all the the different divisions grading in the same way? I, I I don't feel like we do. If we do, sometimes it doesn't showcase itself at the competitions. Um, and I don't know, that's a difficult one. You're always going to have hopefully teams that progress and they exceed and that's great. Let them have that year. But I think figuring out how we can have those, those systems graded, why is it important for people that are listening to this and being like seniors, the pinnacle, get to the top, get better, train harder, figure it out. Like I hear you. Um, but I think the other side of it is, is that retention, retention has to be at the top of our mind because that's what's going to happen. I'll bring it back. I mentioned COVID earlier, and I thought this would be kind of a good conversation for us to have talking about homegrown. So 2020 comes, and the decision is made that ultimately there'll be no season. 
we were disappointed for two reasons in Hartford. We were different disappointed because we wanted to play our football. We were disappointed because we were kind of going, yeah, we've actually been setting up for this. <laughs> this is perfect. No sanctions, no players show up with who you've got and we'll take what, what we've got. And, and win, lose or draw. We were just kind of like, cool, this is going to be a true competition to, to whoever's here. We didn't get it. And, and I understand of course, safety wise, but there was a little bit of that kind of like, we were kind of like, Oh, this is actually be, this will be great. Um, we'll play with whoever's here. So that tells you, like, if we're feeling that way, that tells you that there is opportunity for us to just continue to just be open-minded, continue to think about ways that we can, we can grow and retain it. it the, the balance of sanctions to me is something that would be beneficial to everybody from an economic standpoint, right. From the integrity of the communities back at home to the ones here, just giving balance and making sure that it's being done thoughtfully as to not strip anybody, any place. I, I worry about displacement of players. When I look at some of the, the large numbers of, of players that do come over, I would have to wonder myself if I was the 16th or 17th or 18th man on a roster and you're, you're watching a huge number of players come over, you're probably going, right, well, I just got bumped down to A. Now I just got bumped down to B. And this is why you have a, a B division that's exceptionally good because you had guys training in January who, who are losing spots. And so we recognize that in Hartford, as I'm sure you do in Worcester, that like when you go and play in the competitions, you might play some of the B teams or you get a chance to play some of the mixed divisions that they have at the end of the season. Um, the competition's fierce. Like it's outrageously good, the quality of football, um, at least, you know, in, in the Northeast, but really probably throughout the entire United States right now. And, and, and that's great. Um, but I, I'd like to see us find balance in how we do it. You just reminded me of a thing I saw on Facebook. I remember around uh, around 2020, different different point now, but uh, I remember someone seeing. I think I saw it on Facebook or something. Uh, somebody was like, "Oh, we we have to cancel all preseason training. Nobody is like let, for one year only. Let's just go back to like big fat lads, just letting the ball do the talk for them. You know, just sublime piece of skill, no fitness whatsoever." <laughs> yeah, you you bring up a good but Actually, that's something that is very interesting where like an exchange like almost like like having a partner club yeah. back in ireland you know whether it's you know even have a partner in each in each province yeah and say you know what uh if if you have a younger lad that maybe wants to come out and experience america for the summer but we have a 19 20 year old kid here that would love to go and play football in the summer he's going to come back a better player. He or she is going to come back a better player. So it's a win-win for both parties, right? Uh, they could be set up with a host family, uh, you know, and you're building that great relationship with a club at home as well. That way, when we as a club then go back and have a challenge game, you know, we have a place to stay. We have a feel we're welcome to open arms. You know, I really think I really think there is a benefit to that, and I, you know, I would be very interested in exploring that um, and see what interest would be of that. Yeah, and, and and reward a club. You know, maybe you start it as a trial and you kind of incentivize it, so maybe there's some sort of financial incentive. Just because if there's not, I don't, you know, teams are will be always slow to develop. They'll do tried and true, uh, but if not, then maybe does it become something where? you have a quota, right? If you want to bring over, you exchange, it builds partnership, it builds loyalty. And I'll say one other thing too, Garrett, that comes to mind for me is, you know, we've had, we, we had a, a, a young woman that was over here with us from, uh, she was at, she was a Fulbright scholar and she was with UConn from September to May. 
she didn't miss a training on a Wednesday night. She she just seriously loved the atmosphere for football. She was she was so dedicated. And one of the best things that happened was she left. And the night that we were leaving, we were having a bit of a go, go away party. And uh, she came up. She did say to me, she goes, I know I'm going home a better player. She goes, my confidence is going to be through the roof going back home. Like, I feel like I'm a star. And she goes, you guys help me create that. We've had that experience on a few occasions with the kids over from UConn just kind of messing about with us for the fall or for the spring. And they go home and I've gotten text messages from players being like, thank you. You changed my confidence. And so there's so much for that player to gain. So this is why bringing players out is great because that might change their trajectory as a GA player. And we see so many of them that come to Boston and, 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 and elsewhere do really well. But imagine what it would do for the American coming back, right, with that same level of confidence. It seems right now that balance is, is the piece in an exchange program might be a, a simple way to encourage it. Oh, you're on mute, Connor. Um, yeah, no, that's that's an interesting idea. Like uh, even, you know, like you're saying, vice versa, there, there could be a lot that uh, an Irish player could gain by coming over here for a season, you know. Um, you know, take like you, you might be an 18, 19, 20-year-old um, struggling with confidence a little bit, you know, like might have all the skills, all the fitness and all that, but just, just struggling a little bit mentally, you know, to come over here and get some, get some, something going, some bit of confidence, uh, definitely could help an awful lot. And I think people, people are always up for it. People love that. That's the dream. Like just going off, traveling somewhere, playing on a team, making new friends, you know? So, I think um, too, just on, on that point, like, you know, the, the players coming over and in exchange, it would feel a little bit more, authentic in some regards, probably for those of us that are in club scenarios that aren't uh, fully boosted, right? So if it's a cash flow situation, like that puts some strains on on those of us maybe outside of economic markets where you don't have maybe third or fourth generation Irish or really successful Irish Im immediately in the club that can pump money in. So it might create a, a little bit of, um, it might reduce a barrier as well from a financial standpoint that it's not just you know, can we afford it? But it's also, do we have the relations? Are we manifesting the right thing? And, and, and are players coming over to your point, Connor? And are they having a good experience where they're going home and saying, yeah, that, that made me a better player. Uh, you know, they tell the little brother, little sister, hey, you should go over there and have a good experience. I think it's been done at the senior level exceptionally well. Like you see these lineages of, of the teams, which is very cool. Um, but I think there's a gap and maybe a program of this nature would allow the gap to be narrowed. We create more opportunities for young Irish men and women to get this experience, but we also then return the favor and we send, you know, some of them back home. So before we start wrapping, wrapping up, um, what advice would you give to somebody that maybe were, you know, thinking about getting involved with Gaelic football? Uh, what would your message be to them? You know, we've had some some good recruiting uh, here over the last six or seven months, brought on a number of, of new first-year players. And the thing that I'm often trying to tap into them is to tell them that they have something that we need. And I think when you're recruiting somebody in the pub or when you're recruiting somebody at an event or a barbecue, um, I think that it's very natural for human nature to – think about your pride or your ego. And I think that we deal with a lot of struggle because I think Americans are going to kind of go, I'm not going to be good at that. Right. It's like, why would I do something I'm not going to be good at? And I can't blame them. Right. I, I don't go around doing a tremendous amount of things that I'm not good at. Um, 
but I think the, the one thing that's helped is trying to make an appeal to people that love community, to make an appeal to people that appreciate the opportunity to like be a part of something that's bigger than themselves and they'll find their way. So maybe you're not um, the best footballer on day one, but you're really good at taking photographs and you're actually a great photographer. And all of a sudden now in the first game, you take 25 amazing photos. Those photos help the PRO out. Now the public relations better. Now you're recruiting a couple more players and you're going back to that person and saying, that's you. You did that. Like you're the most, you know, one of our most valuable players a couple of years ago, jokingly, um, was a man who works in the school systems. And he was able to just kind of latch on to two or three and those two or three multiplied to five or six. And we said, hey, you're the most valuable person on the team this year because you did more for what we did in the field than anybody that was on the field. So uh, to boil it down, the GAA will give you an opportunity for your skills to be cherished or heralded. You will be celebrated for whatever you're good at, as long as you show up and do it. And I think that that means if you're great at raising money, go raise money. If you're great at kicking ball, go kick ball. And I think um, we're a very special place where like, we'll welcome you because we know, right? If you have a good program, we know we can find, we can tap into what, what it is that you're good at and make you feel hopefully cherished for that. So, and that's not always easy um, to convince people, but I think when we break through, it's probably one of the most like rewarding parts of why, you know, we're doing what we're doing, why you guys are doing this podcast. Cause you recognize that those breakthrough moments are that kind of fuels you up and keeps you going for another couple of weeks until you get another one. Powerful message, huh? <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, this episode we were talking, you know, ah, we'll hit 30, 40 minutes, you know, but you know, with this one, it's, you know, you could you could sit and talk about it all night because it's you know it's a lot of great points and um you know but we will start to wrap up but you know Rory obviously we have a great relationship with you and uh, Hartford and we'll continue to keep this conversation going as much as we can and I think we all mutually agree you know the growth of Gaelic football and the potential in Gaelic football is huge uh you know and anything we can do together to help grow. Uh, and make it better so yeah and i just want to um just want to thank gareth yourself connor again this work that you're doing is is not lost on any of us um the hartford lads down here and, and the ladies team have been sent the podcast and they're listening and they're tuning in i know they'll be probably listening into this one and it's spreading the word and um this type of effort is is outrageously important and i hope that everybody that's in your corner, um, you know, appreciates it and kind of looked at, look after the whole progress, because these are the types of things that make this game special. These are the types of things I think that help us stand out and attract players. Um, so this is the next generation. This is you guys utilizing the new channels that exist. And, um, I'm just super happy for you. And, and I know that there's probably some long nights and a lot of work that goes into it, but it's appreciated by everybody and, and, and please keep it going. And, and we're all very grateful for it. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, Rory. You really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to our sponsors, Masia. Thanks to everyone who's listening out there. Do us a favor. If you like this episode, uh, give us a like, follow, subscribe, whatever you can do. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks, and we'll see you next time.